0: All right, so we are in in Genesis chapter twenty eight. Genesis chapter twenty eight, and we're we're going to be reading about the uh the dream which Jacob had, which is the source of this uh this this saying or little snippet called Jacob's Ladder. So this is in Genesis chapter twenty eight, verse ten. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream and behold, the ladder was set on the earth and its top reached to the heavens, to, the he- to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Uh, the, The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the mor- early in the morning. And he took a stone, the stone that had been put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on its top. And he called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my master's house in safety, then the Lord will be with me. The Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Okay, so we, we learned the last several weeks about Jacob and what was going on in his life. So Jacob now departs at his father's bidding. He had departed to go find a wife from his uncle's family. That's what, they, that's what he had gone to do. So he, he had left Beersheba and he's going to come to this place Bethel. So, This is Beersheba down here. This is where they were living in the southern part of Israel. So now what's going to take place is, is uh, uh, here it's Jerusalem and just north of Jerusalem is Bethel. All right. So for, we're from here. So it, it's, about, it's about 40 miles or so as the crow flies to, Be- to, to uh, Bethel from Beersheba, but it's hard to go as the crow flies, uh, even though he was probably walking. We have no reference to camels here. It's not like when Abraham's servants were going to head up to, to Haran. The distance from Beersheba to Haran is 450 miles. So if he's walking, it's not like walking 10 miles on a sidewalk. Uh, uh, the, the ground is, you know, there's a lot of sand and there's a lot of dirt. And so you're, you're probably not going more than 15 miles a day. You know, it would be hard to walk more than 15 miles a day. So probably he's been walking for at least three days, uh, uh, three or four days between Beersheba and and uh, Bethel. And that's when this thing takes place. And it says that, that uh, he was tired. He came to a certain place. It didn't mention the place yet in verse 11. And uh, uh, the sun had set. So he takes one of the stones, he put it under his head. This word, under his head, if you look in your margin, if you have a study Bible, it could also mean beside his head. And this is the same word that's used when it says that King Saul's spear was stuck in the ground beside his head while he was sleeping. So the same word is beside his head. And, uh, uh, you know, because it'd be hard to put the spear stuck in the ground under your head. It'd be kind of an awkward position for a spear to be under your head, stuck in the ground. So so it, it's probably beside his head, and he lay down in that place, and he had a dream. So this is not a vision. This is the first time one of the patriarchs is going to have a dream. Formally, God appeared to them, or there were visions that they had. This one is a dream. A dream is when you're asleep, and God appears to them in a dream. Vis- vision is when they're awake, uh, uh, and, and, that, and, and so it's a little bit different with a vision so th- this is this is a dream, and uh it, it says a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven, and behold, angels were ascending and descending on it, and this word ladder can also be translated staircase so either was a la- ladder or a staircase, and angels were busy ascending and descending, and it went up to heaven, so it went up to heaven, and you see these angels so. There's a lot of angels. I mean, the, the heavenly world is very busy and we don't see it. We don't see it much, but it says angels were ascending and descending. So this is a long staircase and there's a lot of action going on. And so there's a lot of angels, even just around Jacob, a lot, lot of heavenly action around him. And if you don't believe in heavenly spirits, that's okay. You could still be saved, but you're going to have to cut out a lot of pages from your Bible. and and, you know, it's interesting about the Bible. The key is that we believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the key to be saved. And that truth has been placed on the hearts of all men and women. You have the ability to believe that. It's later that we start believing the God, the, what's written throughout the Bible because Jesus said in John seven seventeen that that uh, um, if anyone is willing to do his will... Then he will know of the teaching whether I speak of God or whether I speak of myself. It's as we do the will of God that we see that the Word of God is true. As you meditate on this Word and you go walking through your life with this Bible, you're like, whoa, this Word is so true. That's where you appreciate the totality of the Word of God. I remember when I was a, a young believer, I moved into a discipleship house and these guys were talking about demons in, in this Christian house. And I, I said, you believe in demons? And one of the guys looked at me and says, Yeah, it's talked about in the Bible all the time. And Jesus was confronting demons all the time. And then I was thinking, hey, you're right. You're right. Then it really hit me. You know, so I didn't need to believe in demons in order to be saved. I needed to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reality of demons started to become real to me as I started to read the Word of God and believe it. So he has this stream and he sees these angels ascending and descending. And so you see in verse 12, it says, behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. So there's this word behold, like take note, behold angels. You know, this is a big deal. I mean, how how many of, of, of us have seen a ladder, a staircase and angels ascending and descending to heaven? Like none of us. So it is a behold. It's a big deal. Then he says again in verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. How many of us have seen a staircase to heaven and the Lord standing at the top of that staircase? Like none of us. That's why it's a behold. It's an important thing. Behold, the Lord stood above it. He says, "I am the Lord." This word "Lord" is Jehovah. I am Jehovah, the personal name of God that is used in the Book of Genesis and then later on, not used used after that. Uh, I am I am the the Lord. It, it was used after that, but not not nearly as much as early on in the Book of Genesis. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. So now he is linking Jacob to the Abrahamic line. He's saying, I'm the God of, I'm the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. So now he's including Isaac in with Abraham. And now this is the son that got the birthright and the blessing. So he's linking him in with this. And he says, the land on which you lie. So he's still lying down because he's dreaming. He's in a dream. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. The same promise that he gave to Abraham. Remember, it was first to Abraham's descendants. And that word descendants is really singular. And it means seed in your seed, singular. And we read how in the New Testament, which is our commentary on the Old Testament, it says that this word seed is speaking of Christ. And he says to you and to your descendants, I'm giving this land to you and to your descendants. He first gave it to the descendants of Abraham. Then he included Abraham in it. And now he's including Jacob in this and his descendants. In verse 14, uh, it, it says, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In you and in your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The same promise that he had made to Abraham and to to um, to Isaac, he is now making to these indiv- to this person. It is a big deal. And then if you read, if you were to read in the book of Galatians, it would say, it says that anyone who is of faith is of the family of Abraham. So in Galatians chapter three, verse seven and chapter three, verse 16, it says, if you are of the faith, you are of the seed of Abraham. So you think, well, this is all a promise for the Jews. The New Testament tells us you, you become the seed of Abraham. You become, this is in the book of Galatians to a group of, of, of Galatians, that, that you become the seed of Abraham by faith. This is to you also. This is a promise which is made to you. So he's he's giving him these promises. In verse 15, behold. So again, this is now a behold. And in this one, this is God is speaking. The other two were, behold, this took place. This is the third behold. And this one, God himself says. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This word until does not mean that as soon as I bring you back to the land, I'm gone. No, this word until means I'll do it and I will continue doing it. You see the same sort of thing that, that uh, uh throughout the New Testament, this word until. So people think that, that uh, uh sometimes th- that God says, I will do this until and then you think that it stops at that time. No, this this until means to that time and then on forward. There are promises that were made. There were promises that were made to to uh uh Jacob. God makes promises to Jacob. Well, does he make promises to us? If you look in John chapter, John chapter 14 verse 1, John chapter 14 verse 1, Jesus has made promises to us and we have to learn to hold on to those promises. We've got to learn how to hold on to those promises. So this is John chapter 14 verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus is saying this, do not let your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I urge you to take hold of the promises that Jesus has made to you. These are promises, and you can see a distinguishing between people who believe the Word of God and believe its promises, and people who just take it as some passing word that doesn't mean much for them. There is a difference between the spiritual strength and success of people who believe the promises of God and those who do not. He says, do not let your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. He says, you're to believe God, believe in Jesus. In my father's house are many dwelling places. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Did you know that God is going to prepare a place for you? He's going to do this. Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. And, and it's, it's like when I, when I took my daughter, I remember I was, I was taking her to, to graduate school and she was getting an apartment. She was so nervous about everything. And I just said, just don't worry. I'll help you. I'll go. We'll put it in the car. We'll get it there. I'll get it all set up for you. And I did. I set up everything. And she was neurotic and, you know, wondering how how this was going to happen. And I said, just relax. We'll go. We'll get it set up for you. And I made like five trips to Target to get more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. You know, when you first move in an apartment, there's a lot of things to get. And I made all of these trips and and did all of these things to try to get her this and, uh, and got her all set up for her. And then she started worrying, but what happens when I have to move out? <laughs> Don't worry, I'll come back. We'll put it in a car and I'll drive back with you. We will do it together. And then she could begin to rest that, okay, my dad's going to take care of this. And and then she could rest. And and this is really what happened. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I will take care of this for you. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Where I am, you can be also. It's the same thing. I'm going to take you with me. Jesus, you will be with Jesus. If he has risen from the dead, the Bible says, because he's risen from the dead, you shall rise also. You shall rise also because he's risen from the dead. And uh, uh, this is what he says. That you are going to, to because he's risen, you shall rise also. So that's the promises. I want you to learn to take hold of the promises of God. Take hold of those promises. Alright, so let's look over in, 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 uh, in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So, he has a conversion experience here. Now he grew up in his family where Isaac knew the Lord. Isaac actually was not that vocal about it. Uh, but, but, uh, now this was an experience that he had. This was a unique experience for him. So I came to the Lord in, on November 7th, 1977, and I had a real experience in my room, in my dormitory room at the age of 18, where when I asked Jesus into my life, I was all alone in my room, and it was as if Jesus himself was standing there in the room with me. And his presence was so distinct upon me. This power of God, and it just, I just started weeping. And the forgiveness of God came upon me. I had this experience. In that experience, I was different after that. People saw the difference in me. I felt the difference. I was all of a sudden attuned to God. And all these things were happening in my life. I grew up as a Jew, as a secular Jew. But on November 7, 1977, I had this visitation from the Lord. And I was different. And there are salvations that the Bible puts before us. And I want to look at a few of those salvations. So let's look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, reading from verse 1. Let's look in the New Testament at how salvations came place. Because here you see a definite encounter With the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, here in this in this stream of Jacob, and now here's an encounter, and let's look at these characteristics that came forth. So this is Luke chapter 19, verse one. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called Zacchaeus. He was a chief, he was chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. All right. So so the, it says there's this man Zacchaeus and he was chief tax collector. Tax collectors were Jewish men who knew what other people made. And, and uh, they knew about how much money other people made. And they would go and collect that money on behalf of the Roman government and they could keep a portion of it. It was very dirty work because they were considered by their fellow Jews as traitors and they had the authority of the Roman guard behind them to extract more money from individuals because because you know, the Romans don't know how much each Jew is making, but Jews know how much the other Jews in the neighborhood are making. That's that's sort of a Jewish thing. And and uh, and so he was chief tax collector, not just the regular. He was the chief tax collector. And he was a small man. He couldn't see Jesus through the crowd. So he runs ahead. And he runs up a sycamore tree. I've seen that tree. Go, How can you see that tree? Because I've been to Jericho and there's a big, big tree with a sycamore tree with a huge base. And it says right under it, this is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. So I've seen that tree. It says it. And, and uh, um, you know, maybe it was a young sapling at that time, but now it's a big old tree. Anyway, there's there's the sycamore tree is there. So he climbs up the sycamore tree and and so that he could see over the crowd when Jesus was going to come passing by. So you see, he made an effort to see Jesus when an unbeliever makes the effort to come to church or makes the effort to come to a Bible study. It is a significant thing. Because that effort is a testimony to God that this person is willing to do something. That little bit of effort to just come. So he runs ahead, climbs up the tree. In verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. This is it. This is the introduction. He's going by. He looks up. He says, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. How does Jesus know his name? Well, he's God, right? So he knows that Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to stay in your house today. He says, I must stay at your house. Jesus, uh, you invite yourself in. God does whatever he wants. He invites himself into a life. Can, can God make you into a believer in Jesus Christ? I tell you, yes, he can. He can. He will take your will and he will align it with his will. And boom, he comes in. You think it's all based on you? It's not. If it were up to us, we would never come to the Lord. We are wicked and deceitful. It's when His will is aligned with, His will comes into us and it aligns our will with His will, boom, then it comes in. So He tells, He he says to, uh, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna stay at your house today. Verse 6, and He hurried and He came down and He received Him gladly. When they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded any one of anything, I will give him back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today boom, he gets saved. How do you know he gets saved? Here's one of the indications of a saved person. They all of a sudden become generous in a way that they never were before. He said, I'm going to take half of what I have and give it to the poor. That's a big deal. How many people take half of what they have and give it to the poor? And then a lot of people think, well, if I were really rich, I would. No, you wouldn't. If you don't do it now, you won't do it then. You know, so 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 uh, uh, then he says, and if I've defrauded anyone, anything, I'll give four times as much, which was in the law. You gave between four and seven times back, depending on what it was that you defrauded. So he was making the testimony before the Lord that he was going to give this back. And so so this is what happens. And and then he says, if I have defrauded anyone, I'd give give back four times as much. And Jesus right away when he hears this, he says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And people couldn't believe it. They thought, why is Jesus being so nice to this guy? Well, that Jesus came to save, to seek and to save those who are lost. What's interesting is there was immediate change in character. And I have seen this. I've seen this with people in, in my own research group when they come to the Lord, totally change. People who were offending everybody, all of a sudden they get saved. They go back and apologize to everyone. People don't go back and apologize <clears throat> unless they have a gun to their head or unless they get saved. People just don't do that. And, and I've seen people just go back and apologize to everyone and all of a sudden their whole demeanor changes. You can see aspects of this. This is how salvation came. Let's look at another account. This is in in Mark, in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, and, and reading from verse 1, let me just tell you this story in Mark chapter 5. There was this demoniac. It says, there came in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, there came to the, They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And he went out of the boat, and immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he was dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain. With chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed down. So, this is a crazy guy. I mean, he's filled with demons and this is a Gentile man because when you go across the Sea of Gennesaret into the... Uh, in, you need to go across that sea into this town of the Gadareans. This is a Gentile town. And this is why you'll read about how they were herding 2,000 swine in this herd. Jews don't herd swine, pigs. and, and uh, uh, But this guy gets saved. This guy gets saved and his whole life changes. And in verse 15 it says, They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, And in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. In the other gospel account, it says how this man would run around naked in the tombs, gashing himself. So now he's clothed. He's sitting down in his right mind. When salvation comes to a person, there is change in the life. Change in the life. You can see this. When salvation comes upon people, they change. And this is what happened to Jacob. There was a change in his life. All of a sudden, he says, "Whoa, God's in this place," and there was this fear of God that came in. He didn't have this fear of God before. This is what salvation does. Let's look at, look at another one in uh, in, in Acts chapter chapter uh, uh, sixteen. Let's look in Acts chapter sixteen, verse twenty three. Acts chapter sixteen, verse twenty three. It says, uh, um, "Paul, Paul." Uh, and, and his traveling companion it says in verse 12, and from there they went to Philippi, oh, i um, sorry, verse 23. Verse 23, and when they had struck them with many blows, uh, no, let me, let me start up here. In verse Yeah, we'll start in verse 23. When they struck them with many blows, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So Paul and and Barnabas were thrown in prison. Paul Paul and and, and Silas were thrown in in prison and uh, uh, after being beaten. And the jailer was commanded... To guard them securely. Not just regular guard, but guard them securely. So he put their feet in stocks. In the inner, in the inner prison. So they didn't have any windows. They're in the inner prison. And, and, uh, and their feet are in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying in verse 25 and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Think about that. They'd just been beaten. They have their feet in stocks and they're singing hymns and praising God. And the other prisoners were listening and suddenly there had been a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. So this is now a jailer who knows that he's going to be tortured if anybody escapes. He thinks everybody's escaped, so he's just going to kill himself. This is a man on the verge of suicide. This is a man on the verge of taking his own own life. This is where the gospel can come. The gospel can come to a person who is on the verge of killing themselves. The gospel is so amazing. It goes across all these spheres. It goes to a man like Zacchaeus, who's rich and has plenty of money. And then it goes to a guy who's ready to kill himself. The same message. And so, so in verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And he said, after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. They shared the gospel with him. And he took them that very hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his household. He now changes his attitude. He's washing their wounds. Before he just threw them in stocks after they had been beaten. So they're all gashed up from being beaten. And now he's washing their wounds. And then they have this water there, so they baptize him in the same water. And his whole household. If you've been saved and not yet baptized, I urge you to get baptized. It's clear in Scripture. I urge you to get baptized. After Jesus was dead, buried, and rose from the grave, again and again, right after salvation, was baptism. Zacchaeus was before Jesus had died. There it was the baptism of John the Baptist, was pointing to Jesus. Here, you see this immediately, baptism. You think, well, why, why'd they have to do this the same night? Because baptism is, is an important next step that follows salvation. But you see, salvation comes upon people. Let's look at, at one more, a more typical one. This is a more typical one in Acts chapter 16. Same chapter, Acts chapter 16. So all of these are really quite dramatic. You get this jailer, you get Zacchaeus up in this tree, and, and, and uh, you get this, this Gadarene demoniac. Here's one that is a lot more typical of what we see. If you look in verse 12 of Acts chapter 16, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside to the gate uh, outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So they went to a place that was known to be a place of prayer on the Sabbath day. And there were women that were gathered there to pray. Well, where's the men? Well, I'll tell you, women pray much better than men. You will see, if, if you have a prayer meeting generally, you come to a church prayer meeting, it's generally 90% women. Just women pray more than men. And women hold on to prayer. So there's women there who had assembled in this place. So these are, in a sense, God-fearing women. God-fearing women, but, but they had not... God-fearing women that, that were either Jews or had been converts to Judaism, uh, but but uh, uh, and so Paul goes out to this place, in verse fourteen. And a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshipper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, "If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord." Come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So there's this woman named Lydia, which is one of those women that would gather for these Jewish prayer meetings. And it says that she was from the city of Thyatira, meaning that they had gone to Philippi, but she was originally from Thyatira. Why would the Bible do this? Because the Bible is extremely precise and because the Bible is real. It doesn't just say, Oh, there was some woman and Paul did. No, there's detail, detail, detail upon detail. This sycamore tree that that uh, uh, Zacchaeus had climbed. How do? You, why a sycamore tree? Because there are sycamore trees in Jericho and nowhere else in Israel, like to the same extent as you have in Jericho. And so it gives you all these key elements that speak of the authenticity. So she was a woman named Lydia. Gives her name, not just a you know some general woman. It says what city she was from. In addition to being now living in Philippi, and she was a seller of purple fabrics, what her vocation was. And so women in that day had vocations. All right. So it's okay for that. It's not like the Bible wasn't, you know, all women were strapped in kitchens. No, she had a vocation. It says it right here. She was a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God meaning that she was God-fearing, but she didn't know this message of the gospel that the Messiah had come and died for her sins. She was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. It wasn't like she responded. Oh yes, my free will, I responded. No, the Lord opened her heart to respond. I'm telling you, if it were based upon our own free will, none of us would come to the Lord. We are too wicked for this. It's because that's why Jesus said, no man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. God touched her heart and then she, the Lord opened her heart and she responds to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, immediately been baptized. If you've not been baptized, you come and see me. We'll get you signed up to be baptized. If you've believed and not been baptized, you got to get baptized. This is the next step. If you feel it's embarrassing, be embarrassed and do it. This is what it means serving the Lord. You do what He tell, tells you to do. And 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 this is a great thing to do. It means, It means you're serious with God. You take the next step. And then it says, and she, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she didn't just say to Paul, hey, thanks, Paul. She said, would you come and just stay in our home? She wanted... Paul to stay in her home just come and stay in her home and it says she urged us you know Paul was probably like you know we're kind of busy you know you already stay she urged us and then she she kind of kind of uses this argument that women can do so well if you have judged me to be faithful to the lord come into my house and stay if you love me you'll do this you know it's something where they set you up and you're like you know, if I say no, then it's no to everything you've lined up before this. And, and, and this is inherent within women in particular. I'm just telling you, because I live with one for 37 years. And it's very good that if I say no to something, it means that I'm saying no to everything that's gone before it. And, and, and this is exactly what Lydia did. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, what's he gonna say? No, you've not been faithful? If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come into my house and stay. This is why I invite you to my house each week. I want to, as nicely as I can, invite you to my house. Because some people say that I'm, I'm too forceful. Please, would you please come to my house? I just want you to come to my house. I don't want to sound proud. I just want you to come to my house. I want to share with you something about the Gospel. I want to share with you. So that just as Paul shared with Lydia, I want to share with you something about the truth of the gospel. And I'll, I'll, I'll be very frank with you that on the days that we have no unbelievers come to my home with whom I can share the gospel, I am demoralized. I just it's, it's like I've just been punched in the stomach and Shereen knows that I'm going to be depressed that night. Spare me. If you want to spare me my depression, <laughs> you will come to my home. <laughs> All right? So if you want to spare me my depression, please come to my home. If you don't know the Lord, please come to my home. Let me share with you this day. And and uh, But you see what salvation does. It comes upon people. Salvation came to Jacob in this incident. He all of a sudden started thinking a lot about God. God came into his life. He set up public worship. He had a public worship time. And after that, he was a man who feared God. He really feared God and so much of his life you will see he's making decisions all around decisions of God. He's going to pay a price for the deception that he did to his father. But he was a man who feared God. I urge you. Now, you may be like Lydia. You may be like Lydia. You've grown up in a Christian home. And sometimes this happens sometimes in high school. It happens in college where all of a sudden you you sort of rededicate your life this is sort of like Lydia. She was never an unbeliever in God. She believed in God. But now she understood the way of the Lord more fully. She understood stood it more fully. Because now she learned about Messiah and the promises of the Messiah. And she got baptized. And her life was changed. This is what he calls us to. He calls us to something greater. I urge you to come to the Lord if you don't know him. And if you know him press into the Lord and take hold of his promises. I want to turn back to this verses in John and close with these verses in John. John chapter 14 verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is not Jesus coming and saying um, I suggest you don't be troubled. No he said do not let your heart be troubled. That is a command. When somebody says do not That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. That's a command. Obey the Lord. Do not let your heart be troubled. I urge you to look at that verse in John chapter 14, verse 1, and obey it. Because sometimes our hearts are so troubled and it's hard to to really stop. Just say, as an act of obedience, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. As an act of obedience. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, anything that's true, I'll tell you. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Don't be anxious about this. I'm going to go. I'll set it up for you. I'll, I'll go to Target however many times are needed to get you what you need to get you set up. It's all on me. I'll get it set up. I'll take care of it. I'll pay every penny of it. You don't have to worry about it. Jesus said, I'll take care of it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come again and receive you to myself. He says, I'm going to set it up. I know what you like. I know how you like it. I know how you like to have your sink and your stuff. It's all going to be there waiting for you. Exactly how you like your your makeup set up. Exactly how you like your stuff set up and your... You know, your knives and your guns or whatever you like, however you like it, I'm going to set it up for you. I'll get it set up for you. And I'll come again and I'll receive you to myself. I'm going to bring you there. It's not like you're going to have to fight your way. I will receive you. I'll drive you there. I'll take you there. You ride right next to me on this cloud. And I'll take you there. Because where I am, there you may be also. Where I am, you're going to be also. I urge you, do not let your heart be troubled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. You are so good. And Father, I pray, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would so move and work, that you would so move and work in the lives of these young people to draw them to your Son, O Lord, draw them to Your Son, I pray. Father, for those here who do not know the Lord, Father, I pray that You draw them to Jesus, that even this day they would say that I believe Jesus is Lord and He's risen from the dead. Lord, I pray that they would even come and hear the Gospel. And Father, I pray for the believers here, that they would follow this command of Jesus to not let their hearts be troubled, that they would believe in God and believe also in Jesus. And they would understand that He prepares a place for them. And He will receive them and bring them there. Father, Your blessing to be upon these wonderful, precious ones of Yours, I pray. And I commit them to You in Jesus' name. Amen.